0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute.
1: Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Out of the Question podcast. With all the attention that gets placed on various parts of the world, Africa gets very little in the modern media. And one of the things that's very interesting is, is when you talk to people who know, Africa is rapidly becoming a Christianized continent, despite the fact that they have lots of opposition to it. And so today I have the opportunity to talk to Judd Saul, who heads the ministry, Equipping the Persecuted. And he gives the statistic on his website that 90% of all Christian persecution deaths happened in Nigeria in 2022. And Equipping the Persecuted is focused on Nigeria. And I'll let him tell us about how he got there and what it is. Now, you might be familiar with the name Judd Saul, He also happens to be an award-winning documentary filmmaker, entrepreneur, and has been a missionary for quite some time. But for those of you who saw and liked, or I suppose those of you who saw and didn't like his film, Enemies Within the Church, Judd is the person behind that. And we had Trevor Loudon on this podcast, I guess, a year and a half ago. And so Judd is a man of many interests and many talents. But today, we're going to talk about Nigeria and why Nigeria has been placed on his heart. So Judd, thanks for joining me.
0: Hey, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it.
1: So there's a backstory. I mean, there's lots of places where missionaries could go. You ended up in Nigeria. Why?
0: Well, over 10 years ago, uh, my grandfather, he's an evangelist. Uh, The guy has been evangelizing ever since he got saved. And he started working with a mission that was doing things in Nigeria. And uh, i say when I pulled my head out of my rear end and got back to the Lord and got back to Christ, I was called to go help him in that mission as far as telling the stories about what was going on in Nigeria and helping that mission out as far as getting the word out about what they were doing and also doing a mini documentary for that mission. I just wanted to help my grandfather out. And as soon as I stepped foot in in Nigeria, it changed my world. It changed my entire perspective of being an American, let alone being a Christian in America. And I say that was one of the catalysts to me putting forth all effort to not only help those in Nigeria, but also do things here to sound the alarm here in America.
1: Okay. Now, a lot of people, if they looked at a map, would be able to point to Africa. I'm not sure they'd be able to point to Nigeria. So where is Nigeria in Africa?
0: So best way to explain it is, is if you see the, if you look on a map and you see the little curve, you know, see the point of Africa going down, you see the curve start to come up. It's right up there on that curve, kind of in the middle say middle western part of africa but it's on the ocean so it it borders the ocean and then it goes up inland
1: so it's west africa
0: they will yeah technically they'll say it's west africa but yes it's west africa but kind of right at that where you see that curve coming in when you look at the big map of africa
1: okay so it's on the atlantic yes okay so nigeria is a poor country but it's a very rich country at the same time how does that work
0: Nigeria is the most populous country in all of Africa with over 220 million people. And on top of that, you, it is one of the largest oil-producing countries in Africa. And besides that, you have minerals like uranium, copper, tin, gold. It's just a mineral-rich nation.
1: So most of the people there probably live a very, at least middle-class life, Correct.
0: Uh no no they live a very impoverished life it is i would say on a scale you have 10% that have that live a, a what we would would be maybe two hour standards but a little bit less than that and 90% is incredibly impoverished the average nigerian makes less than 100 dollars a month
1: is the nigerian civil government marxist uh no the nigerian
0: civil government is becoming more muslim
1: Okay, so you think you would you look at that as someone who spent time there as being categorically different, a Muslim orientation to ruling and governing as opposed to a Marxist one? Because your enemies within the church focused on Marxism and we know that there is Marxism in Africa. So it would be good to get Um, some insight.
0: Okay, so the the primarily the uh, after Nigeria had their civil war, they wanted to be a very democratic nation. And like any other country in Nigeria, it's extremely corrupt and a lot of it run by dictators and everything else. So Nigeria tried modeling its government after a little bit after the United States blended in with some uh, British law and everything else. But, But all that has kind of eroded away because it's being taken over by radical Islam.
1: So your ministry is not called Saving the Persecuted. Your ministry is called Equipping the Persecuted. And I have watched some of your interviews that you've done with other people. And you make a very important point that to help people in any country, but your focus is Nigeria who are persecuted. It's important to equip them rather than go in and say, okay, we have arrived from the U S or we have arrived from, you know, the UK and now we're going to fix all your problems. We're going to build for you. Why don't you like that model?
0: Because in order for any country to be saved, you have to empower the locals to do it themselves. And it has to be a movement done from within the country to to have any kind of successful, any success at getting the nation on the right track. It has to come locally. It can't be done from top down. And we are there to help the persecuted Christians. I mean, we're there to help with aid, food, medicine, because our Christian brothers and sisters are suffering every day. But we also equip them with the from a Christian mindset that it's okay to defend yourselves, it's okay to stand up for yourselves, and it's okay for Christians to get involved in government. And this was something that has been completely foreign to Christians in Nigeria.
1: So you go to a place like Nigeria, you said you want to empower the locals. Obviously, there's the task of finding out who to partner with. What's your criteria for these are the people we're going to work with?
0: Well, I've been going there for over a decade and I've developed a lot of good friendships with certain people and I and the ones I partnered with were Nigerians who I'd say been tested by fire. They weren't they weren't corrupt people because there's a lot of corruption in Nigeria. You got to be very careful on who you partner with. And I watched as I slowly started partnering with them. We were able to get a lot done with little and and them sacrificing themselves and their own resources for the mission.
1: So I imagine that now that you've been there for 10 years, children you've dealt with are now teens or adults themselves. Why, if Nigerians are persecuted for their faith, why do more people convert to Christianity? I mean, it would seem like <laughs> that's a sure way to lose your business, lose your life, lose your, you know, your resources. What, what makes them respond to Christianity?
0: Christianity is not a religion that you were forced to except by the point of a gun unlike islam islam bullies its way through and makes you convert at the point of a gun or die and people by default some christians have converted to islam some people have converted to islam just to survive but the vast majority and a lot of people are they know better they know who they know what they believe in they trust in jesus christ and they are willing to die for their faith and when you're bullied and To convert to a religion, but at the point of a gun, that's not very appealing.
1: I've heard it described that those who convert to Islam, all those who point the gun, are interested in their behavior, their outward behavior. They don't care what they think. They don't care what they believe. They care what they do. Whereas the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is... It's not someone who's won outwardly, it's one who's someone inwardly. And we would have to say, yes, they're missionary efforts, etc., but the Holy Spirit is the one that brings new life to people. So why is the Islamic government so threatened by Christians?
0: It's it's power it, it, it's power and control, and it's and it's their mandate. Islam has conquered every country through violence since its inception in six hundred and forty AD. And what's just happening in Nigeria in our lifetime, and we're watching it in real time, is a nation that was once majority Christian being taken over by Islam and suffering a violent jihad. We're watching this in our lifetime. And people are like, well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Well, this has been happening for over a thousand years. It's just happening now in front of our eyes. And most of the media and everybody is completely ignoring what's going on.
1: So the statistic was sent 90% of all Christian persecution deaths happened in Nigeria. Give me a real number for that. What you're talking about, how many people have been killed for their faith in Nigeria?
0: Close to 10,000. That's that's a that's documented. Uh, we estimate it's much much higher than that.
1: What What happens is is when these
0: attacks occur, they underreport the deaths to try to make the government look better. So let's say 50 were killed, they'll say 10 were killed. Let's say 100 were killed. They'll say 60 were killed.
1: So who's the they that's trying to make the government look better?
0: The Nigerian government themselves.
1: And so any journalists or any uh, Western media are going to take their numbers.
0: Right. They're going to take the official government numbers. No one really questions it except for locals, which is something that we are doing differently because we started a project called TruthNigeria.com where we have reporters on the ground and we're reporting the real stories and real statistics of what's going on. Because no one else has been a watchdog
1: okay so when you use the term equipping what you're saying is that it's more than just sharing the gospel so this isn't your ministry isn't about conversion although i imagine it involves that that it's mostly about looking at what's happening and helping them to see as you said earlier that it's okay to defend themselves
0: yeah. So what, one of the things we do and makes us controversial to a lot of other people is uh, we train village security teams on basic security awareness, how to gather intelligence, how if you know an attack is going to come to your area, how do we save the most amount of lives? Is there enough people to put up a line of defense or is it better to evacuate and save lives as possible? And then how to gather that intelligence. We also provide radios so they can communicate with one another, bulletproof vests, basic things like that.
1: Why is that controversial?
0: I've had a lot of Christian missions and other people very upset that we are getting involved in something like that. And I I just look at them and I go, well, I know what church you guys go to. You have church security at your church. What makes you better than the Nigerians?
1: So are other groups persecuted by Muslims or is it primarily Christians?
0: Primarily Christians. The 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 first thing they do when they go into an area when they attack a village is they destroy the church and they try to kill the pastor. Then after that they decimate everything else. And before they hit a town, they try to take out the pastor before before the attack occurs, maybe a month before or two months before the attack, but they like to they like to kill pastors.
1: So I don't imagine there's tons of people lining up to be pastors in Nigeria. Or are there?
0: Well, there are people that there are after a pastor's dead, uh, the next guy line takes over, and if that guy's killed, the next guy line takes over because they actually believe in Christ and believe in God, and believe in their mission, and they know where they're going when they die. And they're but they're willing to die for the gospel and and hold their ground.
1: So, what's the state of education in Nigeria? That's a loaded question. It's a good one.
0: The state of education is you have a lot of government-run schools. You have kind of private schools, some mission schools, things like that. But what happens after attacks is many of these people, the ones that survive, are all put into these camps. They're called IDP camps, which essentially is you're a refugee within your own country. So think of internal refugee camp instead of IDP, but that's what the UN calls it. So when you have your entire town, village area completely decimated, there is no education for these kids in these IDP camps. And that is a huge problem uh, that we've been working on trying to solve. We've built a school that now serves 300 kids. It started off as 100 and then more and more kids came in. So we serve 300 kids and we're looking at duplicating this near other IDP camps across Nigeria.
1: I see. What's the view of the Nigerian government with Westerners, specifically missionaries, being present? Are you also targets like the pastors are?
0: We are definitely targets. When we go out with our mission, we have armed escort wherever we go, because we do go through some dangerous areas, and we have to travel with armed escort wherever we go. So we are definitely targets, and it it is what it is.
1: (laughs) Okay. So are you eager for people to say, oh, yes, I want to come to Nigeria, help build schools, help build homes, things like that? Is that the kind of help that you need at this point with your ministry? Well,
0: uh, to be honest, I get this question a lot, and I get it from other people saying, no, I want to come to Nigeria and help build a school. The reality is this, is, is we're a mission that empowers locals to do things. And so, obviously, Nigeria is a very impoverished nation. It is better to raise the funds here in the United States and pay Nigerians to go build schools, to give them jobs, to give them employment, to do the humanitarian things not only are they getting paid, but they're also part of the mission in helping their own people. And that goes a long way.
1: I remember seeing a a documentary series called Poverty Cure. And what was featured there were, I forget exactly where in the various countries it was, but oftentimes, and I can speak for Americans, it's like, oh, you know what? We're gonna give our old clothes. We're gonna give our old this and that and the other thing. And the problem is when all this stuff comes in, Local people who have businesses supplying clothing or supplying bags or whatever it is now go out of business because when you compare paying something and free, most people will go with free. Is that your experience?
0: Uh, 100%, 100% And, and, and they get offended. They actually get offended if you come in and try to start giving out all this, giving out all this free stuff and doing all these other things, or like bringing a group of people in to build something, they feel offended by that they're like you know we could be doing this too and what and they also like are are we are we stupid are we not able to build our own buildings what's going on here so i found this to be very effective but not only that we get a lot done a lot faster by just employing nigerians and doing these things so they can do that and if we bring in like let's say we bring in goods it's better to work with a a vendor that can help that will help resell those goods to the community Because then it exchanges hand and it's building an economy.
1: And I imagine people observe what's going on and the difference between being a sluggard and saying, hey, I can be employed to go ahead and build this or sell this or whatever is what the God-given nature of people wanting to take dominion in their area. So by making them recipients as opposed to producers, I don't look at that as being consistent with the gospel. Right.
0: We've seen so many people blessed uh, by the ministry by doing it this route and working with Nigerians and doing this. And it's been a blessing to their families. It's been a blessing to the communities. And you see the transformation take place by this method.
1: Okay. Your fact sheet says that you're the father of five kids. Do they minister with you in Nigeria? Or do you think it's too dangerous to have your children and your family there?
0: Too dangerous for the for the kind of work we're doing. They help me back home. They're champions of the ministry back home and and they help where they can. But as far as taking them there, I haven't done that yet. My wife has gone with me, but we have not taken the kids.
1: So you talk about 10 years ago, going to Nigeria and it changed your life. Now, that's a big statement. Explain how it changed your life. I mean, yes, you're an American. And so thinking of, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian in America. And now you get to see what it's like to be a Christian in Nigeria. Talk a little bit about that, if you would.
0: Well, it's hard to put into words until you see it yourself, but I'll do my best to explain this. Imagine you wake up every morning. You don't know where your next dollar is going to come from. You don't know where you're going to get your food, let alone you know you have oppression from Islam and, and uh, criminals, banditry, everything else that comes along with Nigeria, let alone a harsh climate you don't have clean water, you don't have running power, you don't have a refrigerator, you might have a very outdated motorcycle that you can get around on, and you wake up every morning relying on God to survive and live to the next day. You're living in these conditions, and you might be sleeping on a dirt floor, but then you get up and you come to church and in, in dressing your best that you have and giving honor and praise and worship and glory to God and thanking Him just for being alive.
1: Wow, what's your background? How did you grow up? Where did you grow up?
0: So I was born and raised in Iowa. I grew up in a Christian family. Went to a Baptist church as a as a child, and very regular middle class America. Very middle class, comfortable life. And you know, after that, I uh, after high school and I went to film school. I kind of said, you know, I'm kind of done with church for a while after dealing with a bunch of church drama, a bunch of bad things happening. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to go on my own for a while. And it really took a wake-up call from God in 2008 where he slapped me upside the head. And then shortly after that, it led me to Nigeria.
1: One of the things your bio says is that you're an entrepreneur and it looks like you're bringing an entrepreneurial spirit to the work you do in Nigeria. Now, does your ministry go throughout the entire country, or is it localized into cities or rural areas? Where's your focus?
0: We are primarily concentrated in the middle belt of Nigeria, where you have the line of the uh, Muslim North and the Christian South. So that's around Plateau State, Kaduna State, Nasarawa State, and Benue State. And it's kind of right in the middle of the country is where we have our, our mission. We have a staff of 40, and we have uh, uh, four satellite offices in different states to be able to respond to the crisis and uh, continue to build our ministries throughout the Middle Belt.
1: Okay, so I remember a while back, there was a film done called Rwanda, talking mm. about the conflict between the Muslims and the Christians in that country. And even though, you know, in the in the West, we like to make everything about skin color, Well, people of the same skin color are fighting each other, so they're not fighting each other because of their skin color. What's the resolution to this? You would think that, okay, so what we need is to send more people to share the the truth of the Bible, that people are sinners and they need to be saved. Do you see an end of this conflict? Do you see a way for there to be an end to this conflict?
0: The only way that there's going to be an end to this conflict is if the Nigerian government decides to protect its own citizens instead of giving a pass to the terrorists and punishing the Christians uh, that are defending themselves. And it, it also takes an international effort to lay pressure on the country of Nigeria to protect its own citizens. No foreign aid until you start protecting your people. That is going to be a big catalyst, and that will help stop a lot of things. But that's from the international side. From the local side, Christians need to rise up. And they need to start taking care of one another and essentially telling the radical Islamists, we're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to allow you to kill our people and we're not going to allow you to steal our land. And it's going to take people standing their ground in order to do it. And at the same time, it's also going to take Christians to all work together hand in hand uh, to take care of their own, but continue to share the gospel to the lost and even share the gospel to the Muslims in Nigeria.
1: So one of my favorite passages seems to be one that you all hang your hat on from Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And is that favoritism? Yeah. Yeah. The same way that I might buy presents for my grandchildren, but I don't buy presents for every child in my city, right? So I recognize the difference between family an outside family, but that doesn't mean that you treat outside family unlawfully. So within Nigeria, are there Nigerians who witness to and share the message of the Bible, the message that you're a sinner and you need to be saved by grace? Do they go out and do that?
0: Every day, every day, every day, Uh, every day, people are out witnessing and proclaiming Christ to all those areas. And, you know, we have worked with other people and ministries in Nigeria where when Muslims do come to Christ, they have to be put in essentially a safe house and they get discipled for several months and then they make the choice. Am I going to go back into my area and be a witness or am I going to, you know, move south uh, where it's safe for me to live? Because once a Muslim turns to Christ. They are on, they're on the death list. They can, they can get killed and even family members of them can get killed if one of them turns to Christ. So when a Muslim comes to Christ, they are risking everything and not just their lives, but their family's lives. But it happens and we see Muslims come to Christ every day. And one of the, one of the things that has happened is, is we've seen Muslims come to Christ through our ministry because we showed up and we took care of our own. And in the process, we said, Do you need help as well? And they're like, how, how are you, you know, you guys are Christian. How are you willing to help us? And we've seen people come to Christ because of our efforts by showing up and helping our own.
1: Right. It reminds me of the words of Jesus. They'll know you're Christians because how you love each other. Yes. And so maybe just maybe those who are at the top of the civil government and those who organize the terrorist cells. Recognize that there is a transformation that takes place. They're probably very uneasy by it, but I'm reminded of the phrase that the blood of the martyrs grew the church. And is that your experience as people are persecuted, as people's villages and whatnot are burned down, that more people come to Christ rather than less?
0: I haven't seen that side of things, to be honest. And uh, it says that in the scriptures. But when you look at Islam, we haven't seen more people come to know Christ when Islam takes over. We have seen entire Christian nations become Islamized and less Christians, you know, and less Christianity.
1: Now, are you saying this is outwardly that that because the leaders are killed, because the villages are overrun? One on yes. one, as you you said, you see people Muslim, you see Muslim yes. people coming but to one, Christ.
0: One, one on one on, one on one, yes. But I'm talking as in in general as a whole. I don't see Christianity increasing in these areas. I see it decreasing because they're they're being killed, they're being pushed out, and we don't see Christianity blossoming in these areas that are that are becoming Islamized.
1: You know, it's interesting. Ohio recently instilled in their constitution a right to abort unborn children. And you think about that, and it'd be very easy to say, well, America's gone from being a Christian nation. And I think we need to differentiate between the leadership and the people who are transformed. And so it's never been a numbers game. It's not like who gets the most people on their side. Are there more is more Muslims or more Christians? But I think it's important for us to realize that the solution isn't sending in an army the solution is as you said to have the people recognize that part and parcel of god's word god's law is self-defense is the, yes. the the responsibility not just the ability but the responsibility to protect your family
0: because if you don't stop evil when it first comes you're not loving your neighbor because that evil is going to come for the next guy and the next guy and the next guy right Loving your neighbor is just more than being nice to them and coddling somebody in their sin. Loving your neighbor is standing up for righteousness. And we have lost that as as Christians in the United States. There's an argument as to who's really Christian and who's not. Uh You know, we have a lot of Christian in name only, but we have lost that in our country because we have supplanted. We have completely forgotten about the wrath of God. We've completely forgotten about God's judgment and what that looks like. And we've Put Christ into this happy Christmas present. And most of Christianity in the United States is bought into uplifting, positive, self-help psychology instead of actually adhering to the scriptures and what real Christianity looks like.
1: I heard somebody say recently, Jesus said, I am the door, not the doormat. And it's important to look at the fact that he promises that the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. Right, So that means the church is on the offense, not the defense. And I do think, as you pointed out, there are a lot of Christians in name only who've never been challenged for their faith. I remember one time, Judd, talking to two men who worked at the same company, and I pointed out to each of them, by the way, do you know that guy's a Christian? And he goes, really? I never would have known. So we have a lot of closet Christians. I don't imagine you can be a closet Christian in Nigeria?
0: Uh, No, no, you can't. You can't be a closet Christian in Nigeria because it's a life or death situation, especially in the middle belt. You know, I'll just share the story. I was just at a conference in Nashville for, with the uh, Christian music industry. And I was told by a bunch of execs in Christian radio that my message wouldn't be allowed to be shared on their stations because it wasn't positive and uplifting enough.
1: Wow. You have to wonder what will happen, because God won't be mocked. His word doesn't return to him void when things that are happening in places like Nigeria start happening more and more in different communities in the United States. And people forget, and I'd like your comment on this, yeah. that salvation not only includes grace, but also justice. And so one of the things that needs to be talked about to people who would be Supporting your ministry or even people on the ground—that you can't preach grace if you don't preach justice. Because if people are being killed and nobody's doing anything about it, that's not justice.
0: No, that is not justice. Like I said, we need to, we need to stand for justice and righteousness and real justice. Problem is, is the other side—the godless and the left—have perverted the word justice. Justice, in as far as the leftists go and the godless people go, is is always sympathy for the devil. That's their version of justice.
1: What most people don't realize that the word righteousness in the New Testament, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, he means justice. And justice means there's a penalty for murder. There's a penalty for theft. There's a penalty for slander. The point is, every commandment is told us what not to do. That means the flip side is true. If it's not okay to murder, it's really not okay for me to allow myself to be murdered.
0: Exactly. These are the simple things that we've been teaching Nigerian pastors. Uh, we have a pastors conference every year. We have a thousand pastors in our network. And when we first started talking about this to pastors, they came up to us in tears and were hugging us going, we've, we've been, we've been conflicted with this the whole time. We, we never understood this. And like, now it makes sense. Thank you so much. It's because some missionaries came in a 100 years ago and told them that they shouldn't be involved in government and that they shouldn't defend themselves if they're attacked. This always bothered them because it doesn't make sense, common sense-wise. Like, this doesn't make sense at all, even within your spirit, you know, hey, I should probably be able to defend my family if they're being attacked.
1: Exactly. So it's amazing how much theology matters and even though you've been heavily involved in Nigeria, I personally was really grateful for your documentary, Enemies Within the Church, because the very thing that went into a lot of seminary training and what comes from pulpits, and oh, by the way, let's not offend our people. We need an upbeat message, is what makes people vulnerable to the outworkings of Satan and for tyranny. And I don't think most yeah. American Christians understand that. It, it creates
0: a vacuum. If if your pastor and and your pastor your seminary if they're not teaching you a real biblical worldview and how to operate in society from a real biblical worldview, you have what we see right now in America, and you have what you see going on right now in churches. They've slowly devolved from okay, we're being seeker friendly. We just want to reach the lost and get them into our church, and then we took the message. And we watered it down even more to cater to people who know nothing about the Bible, and we kept it there. And then that created a vacuum. And over the course of time, you see the churches affirming sin instead of speaking against sin. You see seminaries affirming sin and teaching false doctrines instead of teaching proper doctrine. We've let the world dictate what the churches teach. We've let the world dictate what the seminaries teach instead of sticking to our guns and sticking to the scriptures. When most people don't know this, but when I, the catalyst to me doing the film enemies within the church was me walking into my Baptist church one Sunday and the pastor preaching a social justice pro black lives matter, pro feminist sermon out of nowhere. And I'm going, okay, this where did this guy get this information? Where did this originate from? And then I found out and I, and me and Trevor started digging deeper and deeper and deeper and we found, unraveled where all this came from and who's funding
1: it. One of the things that impresses me about Trevor and I've heard him speak and I interviewed him. And of course I watched the film is that he's a take no prisoners kind of guy. He will tell his <laughs> audience, you're asleep at the wheel. You're helping the enemy. You can't do this. And I don't know if he gets invited back a lot. Maybe you don't get invited back a lot. But there are people who resonate with the message. And I know after the film came out and on the website, there were resources. And I got those resources. And I started sharing those resources with other people. If being changed, if being reborn doesn't change you radically, then I would question whether what you think is being a Christian is really being a Christian. And of course, that's not a popular message. You tell somebody, you can't keep voting for a guy who says he will preserve abortion and still be a Christian and have the person come back and say, oh, you're saying I'm not saved?
0: Look, you all know them by their fruits. And I would, I'll challenge anybody who believes they're a Christian or thinks they're a Christian, I, I challenge this. What fruit have you been bearing? If you are a Christian, what fruit have you been bearing in your life? If if you've been radically transformed and changed, you have been radically transformed and changed, and now you are going to be bearing fruit for God. What fruit are you bearing? And that's a question I ask a lot of these seeker-friendly churches. And They're like, well, we have 1,500 people. We have 2,000 people come to our church. We're successful. Okay. Has your community been transformed, and what fruit has your church been bearing? Because I see your community getting a lot worse, and you guys aren't standing for righteousness. You're not fighting against sin. Uh, you're 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 playing the fiddle with your happy-go-lucky Christian music while Rome is burning.
1: And when Christians will look at themselves and say, "Well, okay, well, we're not sinning," so how do they translate that? Well, I haven't murdered anybody today. Oh, but have you sat by while somebody else was murdered? Oh, okay, that counts yes. too. Or you know, we don't steal from anybody, but if you're benefiting from inflation, well, then you are, you're stealing from those who can't afford, maybe you can. So I think this goes back to, if you don't look at God's law as still being applicable today, why debt is bad? Well, debt is bad because then you can't use your resources to help people like you're trying to help and and working with in Nigeria or even in your own community. So, I guess one of the fruits is when you start obeying God, you start getting opposition. You start getting persecution. And maybe there are those who say, well, I want to be the kind of Christian that doesn't get persecuted.
0: You can't have it both ways. Those who are sitting on a fence will soon one day find out which side they're actually on.
1: And that fence can poke them and poke them in a way that they don't necessarily anticipate. And I've recently had a discussion on what are you saved from? Are you saved from feeling bad about yourself, your body image? you drank too much? No, you're saved from a nature that is at war with God and when you are restored to fellowship with God, you're not at war with him anymore. But how many people don't even think we're in a war?
0: Well, most people don't realize that when they're saved, all right, they're not saved from their depression, their you know bad feeling at the moment. When you dedicate your life to Christ, and you serve him, you're supposed to take up your cross. What does it mean, take up your cross? It means you're going to be persecuted for my namesake for taking up the cross. And that also means once you are saved, you are saved from God's wrath, eternal judgment. These are things a lot of pastors and people don't talk about. That's what being a Christian is. And you are saved from God's wrath, and we need to take his wrath very seriously. And, we, you know, when the disciples followed Jesus and when Jews got saved from disciples teaching, they knew very clear and well what God's wrath was and what those words actually meant, as well as, you know, the first century Christians, you know, the, the ones that were murdered by the Romans yes. and they knew the sacrifice they were making to follow Christ. But it's it's very easy to say, OK, Jesus is going to take away my depression. And that's what you think being saved is. I don't think they quite get the message.
1: no. So one of the things you said earlier impressed me that when someone does convert, they go to a safe house and they're discipled. That's one of the things that's missing in, I think, the American church. We're interested in making converts rather than disciples. And as a result, you have a shallow profession mm-hmm. of faith. And quite frankly, the world isn't impressed with the shallowness of christianity but they are impressed as you pointed out when a muslim guard or a muslim whatever sees that you're willing to you know you're hungry would you like something to eat and and they see how you're caring for your own that's letting your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven
0: and and we clearly present the gospel we have one instance where there was a smaller muslim village that was attacked after Christian village was attacked. There was a reprisal attack against a Muslim village that really didn't have any, have anything to do with that attack. And they were hurting and uh, we got the call in and they were asking for help. And my coordinator called me, he goes, "Um, what do you, what do you think we should do? And I said, well, let's pray on it and see if this is legit because this could be walking into an ambush. Right. And we prayed on it and we agreed we're going to go in. We went in with aid and but we told them beforehand, we do everything that we do everything with the gospel. So we are going to preach you a message. And the imam of the village agreed. Mm-hmm. And we went in with aid and we preached the gospel. People were in tears, and some of the people out of that village ended up converting to Christ.
1: Now that's that's a good report, especially because they're not ignorant of the fact of what happens when you convert.
0: No. They're not ignorant of the fact, but that's what, that's this, this is what being the hands and feet of Jesus actually looks like.
1: So do you actually have discipleship schools that so that they're built up in their faith in the face of opposition? Because, you know, we have a lot of Christians in this country who are waiting to escape. And so they're putting their, their money on the fact that they'll be raptured out when in oh actual fact, They don't pay any attention to what people are actually going through, which we could label tribulation. I mean, I don't know what Christian Nigerians would think, like, if this isn't tribulation, what is? How do they, they don't just hang in there because they just pick themselves up by their bootstraps. They have theology that they're learning, correct?
0: Yeah, they have theology that they're learning. But I'll tell you this right now, they're not dumping everything waiting for the rapture. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so. I believe... There is a rapture coming. However, I am not banking on the rapture coming when I think the rapture is coming. That is completely against what God has told us to do. We're supposed to occupy until he returns. We're not supposed to sit on our hands and wait for Jesus and do nothing. In fact, that I believe that is sinning by doing that. We are supposed to be active until the day he returns. We're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing until he comes. And, and people in America, they're like, oh, the rapture's coming. i coming. I'm banking on the rapture coming. People have been doing this for a long time, and it has never panned out, and it has been embarrassing, and it's embarrassing to our faith for people to have this behavior. I'm sorry to go on that rant. When I talk to people about my mission, they're like, well, isn't it just glorious for them to die as martyrs? I'm like, okay, you're sitting here saying that in your comfortable $500,000 home. And and they're waiting for the rapture, and they think Jesus is coming because Trump didn't get elected. This is asinine.
1: And I do think that there's judgment coming. I think the judgment already is. You know, in the major cities in the U.S., there's rampant crime, and the civil government's not doing much about it. But the difference is going to be when we realize that faith and obedience are what we do in terms of bringing forth the kingdom of God. Correct. One
0: hundred percent. But the other thing, though, is, is that when a nation turns its back on God, historically, rapture or not, judgment comes, especially to a nation that was founded under God and obedient to God. And then we reject our creator. Guess what? He's going to remove the grace. He's going to remove the comforts. He's going to remove some of those things as a form of judgment to people who reject him. I mean, just look at the Old Testament and every situation that the Hebrews put themselves in.
1: Exactly. The word is apostasy. It's not ignorance that I never heard this message. It's that it became easier to do it the humanistic way as opposed to the biblical way. And I'm not looking forward to judgment, but I also know that if there is no judgment, then there can be no salvation. Amen to that. Okay. So, Judd, tell people who are listening how they can find out more about your ministry, how they can help. And anything else you think would be pertinent for people to understand more?
0: Go to equippingthepersecuted.org. That's equippingthepersecuted.org. And we need financial support and we need prayer. We need prayer for the safety of our teams as they go out and risk their lives to help our persecuted brothers and sisters. But we also need financial support for the mission and We just need a covering over the ministry in prayer. And any way you can help us would be great and and spread the word about what we are doing as a mission. One of the other reasons I started this is because there are other organizations that claim to help persecuted Christians that raise the money on the backs of persecuted Christians. But I can assure you, many of them are not on the ground in Nigeria. And this is one thing I want to get across uh, to people. If you want a mission you can trust, a boots-on-the-ground mission that is actually helping persecuted Christians, go to equippingthepersecuted.org.
1: Okay, very good. Are there people who come to you and say, I love what you're doing, I see it's right, but my heart is for another area of the world or another country in Africa or in Asia? Do you train people to... Take your pilot program or what you do and do it in other places?
0: We, this is something we are working on, and this is something we plan on doing next year. Okay. Because there are other areas that need what we're doing. We've been approached by, by folks in a few different countries uh, that like what we are doing. And so this is something we're going to explore. Right now, as far as our resources go, we're trying to perfect what we're doing in Nigeria so we can then expand somewhere else.
1: Right. So it's good to not reinvent the wheel and not make the same unnecessary mistakes. I get it. Well, I know you're busy. I thank you for taking the time to share with me today. And I hope that as a result, you hear from people and they say, I want to participate in equipping the persecuted.
0: Well, I'd appreciate that. One thing I'd like to add real quick, though, is one of the questions. If you are called to give to another mission or another area, do it. I mean, go to where the spirit leads you to give and leads you to do. Good point,
1: good point. And you know what? And I'll go one step further than that. If you're already being generous, there's no better investment than in the kingdom of God. So maybe you take something that was earmarked for something less important and put it into a thing that now if God has opened your eyes, because learning about what you do probably will help people in their own communities, even if it's in the good old USA. Yes. Yes. All right. Listeners, thanks for joining me. Out of the Question podcast at gmail.com is how you get a hold of us. God bless you, Judd, and those you work with.
0: God bless you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.